Hey friend, it's Forrest, your favorite librarian. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. And welcome back to episode 13, your first relationship, the art of self-love. You know, with this week's episode, we're going to break it down into four sections. The first three, the foundation of self-love, as well as limits, boundaries, and managing expectations, which leads me into our third portion, self-discipline and accountability. And at the end of this episode, I'm going to provide you resources and my hopefully helpful insight on ways you can combat versions of yourself, as well as certain ways to craft a plan and build a support group. But the titles in this week that I believe will assist you are Fatly Ever After, a Black Fat Girl's Guide to Loving Life Unapologetically by Stephanie Uboa. And the second is Feminist Weed Farmer, Growing Mindful Medicine in Your Own Backyard by M. Stewart. And if you want more information on these titles, be sure to check out favoritelibrarian.com or where you can purchase all books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Google, as well as anywhere else. Now, let's get started. So when it comes to your first relationship, it's all about your foundation and the art of self-love. And first, let's get into the foundation of self-love. You know, how do you love yourself, others, and things that you value? And one thing that really resonated with me, especially in the title, Fatly Ever After, by Stephanie Ubois, is that she literally defines and gives a historical context to the body positive movement, as well as the main and primary contributors that have helped to build the infrastructure. You know, the body positive movement originated with a fat acceptance movement that was in the 60s, which really aimed to combat anti-fat discrimination and to really celebrate and inspire validity and acceptance of all bodies and abilities. Excuse me. But specifically here in the United States, you know, with the, you know, creation and establishment of the National Association for Advanced Fat People Acceptance, NAAFA, and other organizations that create a space for expressions of all bodies, shapes, and sizes, and hues, we're able to discover portions of ourself. So books like this, Fatly Ever After, is important because not only does it provide examples, but also ways that you can utilize social media, your environment, or places, whether physically, in person, or digitally, to assist you with discovery of self. You know, also in the book, along page 26, it talks about a platform that I've used to express myself and also discover other similar avenues of my intersectionality. You know, it reads along page 27, You know, before I found Tumblr, I never really saw fat black femme presentation outside of TV show, The Parkers. I was in love with health at every size and radical fat acceptance. Basically, I grew up being told all the time that my body wasn't worth showing off or feeling good about. I can't say that I would be where I was without those movements because they're truly they truly were a catalyst to me about learning about autonomy, autonomy and consent, as well as the theory that fat phobia derives from anti-blackness. And, you know, right in that first just beautifully written and articulated paragraph, which comes from Marf Mello, it talks about from Bissett, who's the author of this beautiful passage about how fat phobia 
as many people historically believe it derives from anti-blackness but it truly evolves from implicit bias based upon our measurement of ability strength weakness and beauty and how that beauty is expressed you know we're living in a world that doesn't see value outside of privilege so the fat black woman is damned near erased and yet we are hyper visible not just any body of people but all bodies that feel and want and are damn near right to express themselves in any way because of those facts you know I feel that anybody whether your ability or however you express yourself by default politically depending on who is in the room not only should you be seen but for all the reasons that you define so that's one reason I love this book you know as body positivity becomes more mainstream I notice that the conversations that were around me in the library outside with my friends and in my community were mostly centered around white women arguably you know most like the feminist movement we are now at a point where body body positivity has become non-intersectional which tends to constantly prioritize the thoughts and opinions and really the achievements and the and the feelings the trivial feelings of white women with a small number of token non-white women, primarily the prioritized Latina and Hispanic women that are palatable to the white audience or the racially ambiguous women. But yet they're meeting what they consider a look at us. We're being very diverse and meeting our quota for diversity and inclusion, but they're not. And with this lack of direction and focus, it really prioritizes, again, the thought of white able-bodied cisgendered women and their highly constructed idea of beauty where it's an hourglass body small waist big boobs and breasts but this is not ideal or naturally constructed and even such it is a beautiful body but we must acknowledge that these things are not as accessible as reachable as many people can simply love the bodies that they're in and refine them through wellness and health so I think that's where me time is so important because through me time you are able to discover and reflect and you know with this book excuse me I'm getting over a small cold you know with this book you're able to not only lay down your presumptions and assumptions but you're also able to combat the weight loss you know great debate you know, historically and traditionally, most adolescent young girls or feminine presenting bodies are always dealing with diet culture or standards of beauty or of body shape, as well as always defining their progress of beauty through body silhouette and shape and statuesque nature. So when we assume that someone looks great because they have lost weight or because they recognizably look slimmer or symmetrical, we're in a sense solidifying and ensuring certain standards of beauty that aren't effortlessly achievable or yet effortlessly or naturally naturally positioned in our lives. And through that me time of reading, when we discover and reflect and recharge, we're able to connect and disengage from these standards and truly find gratitude in what is present, the body we're in and how to refine that so when we when we examine rehabilitation you know not only is it through physical health 
or through our investment of self, but we're able to see that not only is gratitude one of the first steps, but we're able to articulate a plan, which is going to lead me into the second portion of today's podcast, you know, limit, boundaries, managing expectations. But the foundation of self-love is not only with how we love ourselves, others, and the things that we value, but also how we utilize our me time to discover and have our reflection time and how we apply what we know and have arrived to. And yet through these ways that we recharge, reconnect, and disengage from standards that hold us or that actually strengthen certain attachments that derail our progress we must first acknowledge and become grateful and then create a plan of action so that way the support that we acknowledge and that we engage and we envision and that we want to maintain is something that is palatable plausible and that is possible and to empower the possible which leads me to our second portion limits boundaries and managing expectations you know when we first examine our first relationship with ourself and then we invest in that through self-love the foundation of self-love is truly the fuel for that relationship it provides us forms of care and when I say forms of care, that's not only through me time, through investment, but also how you create boundaries, how you maintain these expectations of relationships, how you maintain expectations of self, how you provide verbal understanding and articulations of limits and also what you understand as a boundary, but yet not in a defense mechanism to limit or to not go through specific or difficult emotions or situations but to protect your peace and where you are mentally for your stability in all sense of the of the word and so with the title fatly ever fatly ever after a black girl's guide to living a life unapologetically by stephanie yubra this guide i believe with its pictorial illustrations and its beautiful dynamics of historical insight and personal narratives and just his compilation of other intersections of not only those that experience fat phobia but those that measure their bodies based upon traditional understandings of ability and body shape and and beauty this book is really a breath of fresh air for me because regardless of my body shape or my acceptance of self but that I'm able to see someone else's progress and journey, but what it could look like, what it can look like, what it is, what it is for someone else, and what are the options for them, as well as myself. Although we aren't in similar life paths or walks, there are similar options. And not that you're as great as your options, but that these opportunities provide us an ability to measure ourselves, our strengths, our weaknesses, but our to, but to articulate all of them. So when it comes to boundaries, limits, and managing expectations, I believe when you are reading, utilize these examples, but before you place them and <clears throat> and also engage them as as actual plans of action, when you love yourself and you love others, when you define how that love looks and shows up, how to maintain it, how to receive it, how to measure and not question it, how and in so many ways of the sense who, what, where, when, and why, understand that how you show up for others is also a reflection of how you show up for self. 
you know, so easily, not that everyone or the entire world or all readers all are people pleasers, but it is very easy to anticipate and define the needs in others and other bodies and communities and somewhat in, even in our neighbors and colleagues. But yet when it is time to verbalize our own needs and also be accountable and stand not behind them, but stand with our needs and say, hey, I need this to feel seen and heard. I want this in order to feel seen and heard. If not, I am not able to meet a compromise because this is a priority to me. This is a necessi- This is a necessity for me in order for me to feel as though I am seen and heard in a relationship. And, you know, again, when it comes to showing up for others, it's important that when we establish and provide our deliverables, what we know and can assure others that we are capable and comfortable with providing. These contributions reflect also our boundaries. And if not, if you feel so equipped and warranted, go ahead and provide the limitations or the parameters of your boundaries. I am able to provide X, Y, and Z. These are my deliverables. Sometimes it has to be simply put because we need to start as simplistic as simplistic as simplistic as possible before we can add the flowery language this is what i'm able to provide x y and z these are my deliverables moving forward i'm not comfortable with doing a b c d and e unfortunately i don't feel like discussing why but if you are tolerable and patient with me i am willing to disclose those with you at a later time but at the moment this is what i feel comfortable with discussing with you is this is this comfortable? Is this providing a safe space for us to move forward? And upon the rest of the discussion, I'm sure you'll feel empowered to make decisions better, not only for yourself, but for how you want to move with an individual or with a situation or in a situation. You know, living in one room behind the walls you build feels comfortable. This safe place, this safe zone, this is a place of care. It's expected, it's internal, it's intentional, it's intimate. It's just for you. It's a room you don't have to share. Almost as what Virginia Woolf mentions as a room of one's own. This is a room where you simply get to be yourself and behind whatever defense mechanisms or whatever preconceivable actions that protect you emotionally, psychologically, or in any ways you're able to live. And in a way, this is a form of escapism. When you live in a room, this one room, a room built of walls that that are not boundaries, but these are limits. These restrict others from reaching us, having access to us, and also in a way from us as an individual, as self, reaching the world. And it's it's important to acknowledge not only through the double consciousness, but what I like to conceive as the third eye. In the age of technology, when we grow with technology on so many social platforms and medias that we can express ourselves, we're also able to see and acknowledge how the user views us in all capacities through whatever we provide them in curated content and information. And through this third perspective, almost in a like a third consciousness, you're able to perceive how the viewer views you in the room that you've built. And this area of comfort, this comfort zone, yes, it's what you construct as a, a way of to protect yourself in this form of escapism, but this form of care limits you and others and when we acknowledge that we also understand how it was constructed by certain forms of un 
healed trauma, which we'll get into later when we discuss combating versions of ourselves or of yourself. (laughs) So, and again, you know, let's dig deeper into forms of care, you know, throughout the podcast episode thus far, we've spoken highly, or excuse me, I have about forms of care. When we speak about, excuse me, forms of care, that can be defined or areas or subjects can include ways that you protect yourself emotionally or psychologically, as well as ways that you distance yourselves from preconceivable harm or from those that you're not able to define their intentions or truly how they can be placed in your life which is also a reflection of control. (laughs) We're getting real deep tonight. (laughs) But these areas provide you, excuse me, ways to see how you have been not only a provider, but a carer for yourself. And that when you release not only all controls or all authority of what it feels like to only provide yourself that care of that providing of comfort, You provide a space for others to do so, or even an organization or higher power, or even some higher guidance or guidance in general. And when you provide a space for someone or something or a a list of people, possibly a family or family members, this is a space that can be occupied with love. And I know that that may sound very green to go into something thinking that you're always going to receive positive but I believe with the law of attraction you are what you receive and if you maintain a positive mindset not through toxic positivity but if you look for the positive if you're seeking the positive if you create a room for the positive although you may receive negative or the disdain or the disheartenment you're still creating a space for something positive to live in spite of what you may receive and I think not only does that it define but reflect your resilience but your due diligence to receive the love that you have earned and you are rightfully so will will but to remain open heart to remain open-hearted is also to remain open-minded and when you are looking at the ways you care for yourself and others I hope that when you define how you care for others you also are able to effortlessly or in some way define how you care for yourself and are leaving room and how you define for others to care for you and so that way when you are able to construct your boundaries and limits you're not constructing walls that you will live behind that way you're not living behind or in a room you are living freely when you live freely you are able to pursue life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and i wish that all men whether you live in the united states abroad in a developing country and a developing nation and a nation that is wealthy with a great booming economy, economics, a system of culture and customs, whether traditional or perceived by millennials or baby boomers from those descendants of the silent generation. I want you to live freely in order to do so. You must free yourself, which is why your first relationship is built upon the art of self-love. And when we first discuss and define how we love ourselves and that foundation of self-love, that me time, that self-discovery, that reflection helps you to really craft tools with how you recharge yourself. Do you recharge yourself after reading by meditating? Do you recharge yourself by listening to music? Do you need to sit with what you've read before you can digest it individually and then discuss it with someone else or do you need to openly discuss it before you can sit with it by yourself and then say okay you know I really don't think that anymore 
you know, how do you reconnect with the information that you don't feel is, is palatable or timely or even credible to circulate or even to really examine? How do you disengage from, again, those standards that may hold you back or may provide attachments to things that you unbeknownst to you from healed traumas or attachments or even negative thoughts that are providing you or lowering your frequency of thinking? And, you know, that leads me <laughs> into our next portion for tonight your favorite or with your favorite librarian you know with your first relationship the art of self-love self-discipline and accountability is important and that's where we get into the heart of this week's episode when it comes to discipline and accountability it's so easy to define how someone has wronged us how we feel pain how we define our purpose how we define our walk how we articulate our strength, how we pour into others' cups. But when we define discipline, accountability, and purpose for ourselves, when we also articulate consistency and discernly acknowledge patterns, we are also able to see our own toxic trait. We're able to see our defense mechanisms. We're able to see our commitments to self or objectives or what benefits us at the moment. And through discipline, I believe, or excuse me, let's even take it a step further, self-discipline. With self-discipline, there are many ways you're able to hold yourself accountable to do the work and also not only to benefit from completing the work that refines your skill, that will shape your character. And I know that sounds really like, well, damn, I feel like I'm constantly in a character development workshop from elementary to high school to damn near in in my professional environment. I'm constantly doing this character development. At this point, how many freaking words I got to go through, you know, resilient, determination, leadership, you know, all these great things, integrity. But unfortunately, it's a never ending story. And I think that's where the beauty is in the irony is that when you are able to craft time through that me time that we mentioned with the foundation of self-love, through that me time, that act of discovery, and through the forms of reflection, you're able to truly hone out the consistency, the patterns in your life, through your choices, through your habits, through your acceptance, through how you receive things and people and emotions or opinions, how you receive yourself, how you receive yourself when you see traits in others that you don't like, that you truly don't like in yourself, and how you are able to converse or even combat or even engage them in others or in yourself. When you're able to define your toxic traits, what is that toxic trait? What are these behaviors that you're not able to yet redirect or correct because they're too hard to really define and acknowledge, but yet others combating and dealing with them? My goodness, whatever they must have to endure. My goodness. So with that self-discipline, you're able to really hold yourself accountable. You're able to see yourself not through the eyes of others, but if you were to engage yourself, would you like you? If you were your own friend, would you like you? Would you call you? Would you want to be in your presence? Would you define yourself as great company? Not only as a friend, but someone that reaches out, someone that maintains lines of frequent communication, someone that provides a space of vulnerability, not hyper 
vigilance, someone that makes others feel seen and heard, but yet also holds a space for themselves or lets others know in a way like, hey, this is a safe space for us both and all. I too should have a space to express myself. How do you show up in the world? That's truly what this boils down to. And you know, most of my most of my podcast episodes have somewhat <laughs> key existential essential questions. And I know we've all had essential questions throughout our lives through meeting public education standards or private standards to meet things that establish our competency or or where we are in specific brackets of knowledge or intellectual range, not tax brackets. So when we have those those ability, those opportunities, excuse me, shall I say, in those me time, in that me time to discover and reflect, also acknowledge consistency and commitment. Define and also articulate what are your patterns routines and toxic traits or behaviors or choices that appear what are what are patterns that form how can we break them how can we add another variable to this equation for another outcome and that leads us into our fourth portion of tonight which is an added bonus almost combating combating versions of yourself you know when you think about elevating to your higher self there are so many versions of who we are When we view and somewhat summon our past, we're able to see where we were in life, in thinking, with thoughts, our mentality, either spiritually or religious, with forms of structured practices of faith, how our faith has changed through practice, through devotion, through acts, through our individual relationship with either a higher power or self. We're able to see in so many ways how our thinking has changed, but also how the environment, whether we've stayed in the similar environments, but our thinking has changed, but also how we've changed our environments through our investment or being simply present. And so when we examine our fourth aspect of this week's podcast, combating versions of yourself, the first is low frequency. What is low frequency? And, you know, let's first define that because we hear that a lot on social media or in person or with those that are more spiritual than religious or those that are more religious than spiritual may say, oh, that low frequency stuff, I don't understand. And even if they do, there are so many different definitions. So let me give you mine, your favorite librarian. For me, I define low frequency as negative thoughts, whether internal, circulated, or what we are provided through conversations or interactions, as well as attachments, similar or examples such as soul ties, emotional, physical, sexual, religious, abuse, trauma, hurt, pain shows up in so many ways and cannot be excluded for healing to be whole, as well as unhealed trauma. So in a small summary, your favorite librarian defines low frequency as negative thoughts, attachments, as well as unhealed traumas that hinder, stop, or delay progress of growth, rebirth, or change individually and then whole. And you know, when you're combating different versions of yourself, there are times in low 
frequency thinking prevents us from really engaging in versions of ourselves that help us to see what's the best path or step or choice to take next or what choices to no longer still be attached to. For example, I believe when you make a choice that you're not only making that choice once, but daily, that even if you don't consciously think about a choice, you are subconsciously or in some ways, the way you develop or maintain your cycle of life or habits are maintaining or maintaining that choice daily, weekly, yearly, similar to how you love yourself or others as a choice, a conscious choice that is also subconscious. This is daily. This is a daily act. And I believe such with other things. And so when you are combating low frequency thinking, understand that this is an extension of who you are. This is not who you are. And that extensions of who you are, whether of a high frequency, low, and however you define them, these do not define you exactly who you are, but make up who you are. It is for you to define who you are. And when you craft a plan of action, which leads me into the second portion of combating versions of yourself, crafting a plan of action. When you craft a plan of action, this provides you areas of support where you can lean when you feel weak or when you're not able to perceive things that you are prepared for or know how to define or even really how to maneuver, whether it be emotions internally, professionally, with your friend, your group of family members, your chosen family. However, when you build a support group, your tribe, there should be an collection of people of different ranges of backgrounds or however you define like-minded individuals. Simply put, your support group is meant for you. Almost like Tron, you are here for the user and you're here for those not to use you, your friends and family members and those that you choose around you, but similar to Tron, you're thinking ahead for those that may use a similar mode to fight in the game for the same intentions, to get out, to do better, to be better, to be the best you can. And so, <clears throat> With our second book for this week's podcast, Feminist Weed Farmer, Growing Mindful Medicine in Your Own Backyard by M. Stewart. You know, I really love this title simply because the cover is just this beautiful black woman with natural hair and her hair is tied and she's wearing these awesome overalls and plaid and she's with these vibrant, you know, trees of Mary Jane. And she is just confident and just the knowledge of information about growing your own herbal medicine and, and just the community behind it. You know, it also at the very end, which I love, provides ideas for enriching your cannabis growing experience, but also provides insight legally, well, not providing legal advice, but legal information for you to apply to your journey. <laughs> Let me articulate that. Um, but it provides insight on how to prepare your soul and fertilizing starts and how to feed your plants and site selection as well as sexting with your plant and post trimming work I mean the list goes on and on I mean from wet harvest to dry to prep and supplies to really how to properly harvest your own medicine and this is so empowering and you know the author who is a writer community counselor and feminist weed farmer but she is also the owner of Purple Kite Farm and lives on a sailboat in Oakland, California. Like, how fucking dope 
Do you have to be like, oh my gosh. So I definitely want you to check out Feminist Weed Farmer by M. Stewart, but also definitely check out the other title of this week's podcast, Fatly Ever After, A Black Girl's Guide to Living Life Unapologetically by Stephanie Y. You know, I really enjoyed you all this week. This week with episode 13, your first relationship, the art of self-love. We've discussed the foundation of self-love, boundaries, limits, and managing expectations, but also self-discipline and accountability and how to properly combat versions of yourself. As well as at the end of this week's episode, we provided you ways to craft a plan of action, but how to build a support group and tribe that will assist you, but also how you can provide assistance, guidance, and assurance to the people around you, whether you know them, love them, or not. And you know, I really enjoyed you all this week. Don't forget to continue to read. There's always something for you. And for the titles that you want to see, be sure to request them at your public or local library or your favorite bookstore or independently owned. And as always, friend, be sure to check out favoritelibrarian.com or check me out on Instagram, favorite librarian. Until next time, continue reading. As always, this has been wonderful and fun. Remember, friend, you are not alone. There is something for you. Continue to read. And if you need more black or queer literature, check out my website, favoritelibrarian.com, or my Instagram, favoritelibrarian. Until next time. (laughs) 